If this is your first time, I do hope that you feel at home. And uh, we've been journeying through this series called Storytime. We've been looking at the power and the impact of telling our stories. And it's been an incredible series so far. I opened uh, in the beginning talking about how uh, when we tell a story, actually it allows people to experience what we've experienced. And uh, we've, we've just looked at the fact that our stories can either be uh, like a monument of pain or a trophy of our transformation. Uh, last week, Esther looked at, um, which I listened to on the podcast, which is amazing, by the way. And uh, she talked about how we've all made it to God in various different ways. Our journeys have all been different, but actually when we share our story, people can connect with it, people can relate with it, and actually can lead people from the craziest of places on the craziest of journeys back to God. And uh, then... That, that kind of first two weeks was kind of like looking at stories. And then these last two weeks of this series are going to be... Whoa, hello. Uh, the last two weeks of, these series, uh, is the, of this series is going to be all about me uh, sharing my story today. So this isn't like I'm much going to tell you my story beginning to end. I'm going to share some things that actually God has taught me in my life. And then next week we've got uh, Pat sharing a bit of his story, which is going to be really exciting. So I thought I'd begin with a little bit... Um, about me. So many of you will know me since I was a kid. And uh, I've been a church kid all my life, born into the church. My parents were in ministry. And uh, I, from a very, very young age, like God was a familiarity. I, I knew it was just part of my life. Church was part of the routine. It was part of life. In fact, so much so, I remember um, this story gets brought up so often when uh, sort of family gets together and those type of things. Uh, when I was, I must have been three or four years old, like church was so ingrained in me as a kid, I used to put on a little shirt and I would gather all the, the family into the living room. You know, I had a few extra teddies for, uh, for more bums on seats. And uh, I would, I would kind of like preach a little message to when I was like three or four years old. And uh, so I was one of those like proper nerdy church kids. And uh, I used to love the place, but it wasn't hasn't always been uh, like that. I think there's times when uh, my sort of like church kid persona was quickly popped and people knew what I was really like. I can have one vivid memory of uh, me and my friend were hanging out all on a Sunday. As you do Sunday afternoon, we'd been messing around all day. And uh, my friend's parents were actually, they were quite like, you know, like really, really strict parents. Um, they were quite traditional, but really, really strict. And they took us to church on a Sunday evening, and like, I don't know if I'm, I'm not good at it now, but I wasn't too good at sitting still for long periods of time. And I would just be messing around, me and my little buddy messing around. And I remember the, the mom had this, had this notebook, and uh, you know, it was like a nice notebook. She had all her like Bible notes in it, had like a little, had a little verse on the front of it, and it was all pretty. And she kind of like, we were talking in the service, so she gave us a special notebook. And I opened it and drew a bum on the top of it. And she kicked me out of church and made me sit at the back. And uh, I remember she was not happy with me at all. And um, I, there's, there's another one. Um, when I was, I must have been three, because I think we were still living in Northern Ireland at the time. And uh, I, I think my dad was using me for some sermon illustration. He made me sit on the front of the stage. And in front of all these people, I had, I had to hold a plastic bag. And... Uh, I don't know, for some reason or another, I decided to put the bag on my head. And like tons of people rushed forward to pull this plastic bag off my head. And again, a story that was brought up so many times. Like, oh, do you remember the time? Like, no, I was three years old. I don't remember anything. And uh, church has always been something that has been a key part of my life. And growing up in a ministry family, you get to see a little bit of behind the scenes of stuff. When I say a little bit, a lot of bit. Um, you get to see the way church works. You get to see the way people deal with each other. Uh, it's, you have a very unique perspective when you are a pastor's kid. And uh, I guess from a young age, that was something that was very normal to me. Like, it was just part of life. And uh, I kind of grew up. I grew up, I was interested in music, studied music um, in my A-levels. Decided, right, this is what I'm going to do. I'd planned my life out. When I was 10 years old, I knew one day I'm going to be a pastor. One day. Uh, but when I'm over 30, that's what I thought. And, uh, and uh, spoiler, I'm not over 30. In case some of you are like, yeah, it seems about right. Like, yeah, you can shut up. Uh, so so I, was, uh, I, I had planned my life out. I was going to go to school, do music, go do my A-levels, do music. 
take a year out with the church, do music, go to uni, maybe, do some theology or music, and then just see what happens, and then when I'm over 30, when I'm ready, then I want to be a pastor. And obviously God completely ruined that. And, um, and uh, throughout, throughout this journey, I feel like God has taught me some crazy lessons. And I want to encourage you in your life, as we talk about this series, about sharing our story. There are so many things that each one of you have been through, so many experiences that you've uh, sort of had to deal with. There are many events in your life that have given you a a unique perspective on life. And actually, there is so much power when we actually break these down and go, what has God taught me throughout my life? And I know some of you might be thinking, like, he's 24, what has he got to teach me? Well, let's see. Because uh, some of the stuff I've pulled out, I've, it's re-challenged me, thinking God told me this a couple of years ago. And you know what? I still, I'm still working through this. I'm still going. So I want to encourage you, in your own story, throughout what we talk about this morning, there is so much we can learn. Not necessarily from me, but rooted in God's Word, there is so much we can learn. So just a little bit of a, a setup for this morning. What I'm going to do is, I've got three lessons that I feel like God has taught me. I'm going to... Uh, talk about the lesson. I'm going to talk about how I learned that lesson. I'm going to root it in some scriptural basis. Then we're going to uh, talk about how I applied it, and then we can talk about how we can apply it today. Does that sound good? No, it doesn't sound good. It does sound good. Okay, good. So, so I've got three lessons for us. The first lesson uh, I learned in my life, not the first, first lesson, but a lesson we're going to talk about today, is worship has the unique ability to transcend personal circumstance. Worship has the unique ability to transcend personal circumstance. I don't know whether you in your own life have been in one of those times where uh, your equilibrium has suddenly just shifted, like your center point, like the, the thing that is, I guess, your balance or your stability. Like Suddenly, it might have been like a bad doctor's report or it might have been like a financial situation. It might have been a relationship that instantly went sour or it might have been an event in your life that just suddenly threw everything out of whack. Um, so often in those times, we're kind of like thrown into limbo. Limbo, for those of you who have experienced this, and I'm assuming it's everybody, limbo is a horrible place to be in. Because you don't know what's up, you don't know what's down, you don't know what you're going to next. You're just caught in this sort of period of in-between. I don't know if you can relate of ever being in a situation or a season of your life that you would label the in-between. But when you're in that phase of life, when you're in that state, you kind of don't know what to grab onto. You don't have that center point. And uh, the crazy thing about worship is worship has the ability to shoot us up above what we're going through. So when things, when we're kind of like tumbling through life where we don't know what's, we don't know what to grab hold of, we don't know what's up, worship is actually something that gives us an anchor, a stability in the middle of those times. Well, what is worship? Worship is giving worth to. It's kind of putting our focus on God and taking our focus off what's going on. It's kind of saying and declaring God's promises over our current reality. Now, we acknowledge our current reality, but we actually say, God, we believe you are higher than my current reality. We believe that you are higher than all that I'm going through. And what is transcendence? See, worship doesn't free us from our storms. It actually frees us in our storms. Like, it doesn't just give us the ability to snap out of what we're going through. Like, if you get a bad doctor's report and actually you begin to worship doesn't always just change your circumstance. And I always say this, I feel like this is a life message for me. It doesn't change your circumstance, but it changes you in your circumstance. And I think that is so powerful. Worship gives us the ability to transcend what we are going through in our moment. Do you not think that's powerful? How is this possible? Well, I believe if we read scriptures, we are actually transcendent beings. Like Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, For I have put eternity in your hearts. Now this looks like there are transient things that are bound by like natural law. There are things that are temporal, that can beat us around, that can push us around. We go through temporary circumstances, temporary events that can have deep deep impacts in our life. And they can cause us pain, they can cause us hardship. But actually there's something that can be like empirically separated in our life. Something that actually is 
deeper than the temporary, deeper than the transient. It's something that's actually lasting. Like we have something inside of us that cannot be touched by temporary circumstance. Do we know that? We have eternity set inside of us. We, are, we have immortal souls. Which gives us a different perspective when we start to think about things that we go through. So if we think actually there's something inside of us that is untouched by the temporal, that means when we begin to worship, when we begin to connect with our creator, when we begin to, to stand in that place and say, I believe that you are bigger than all of this, the thing inside of us that is untouched by the temporary is actually the thing that we can root ourselves in. Actually, God says, I will lift you above your storm. The crazy thing is we can still be in it. Worship has the unique ability to transcend personal circumstance. I remember I was... Um, I learned this lesson over a long period of time. I uh, said I was a pastor's kid. And I want to say the weight of ministry is very, very heavy. When you are a pastor, when you are in ministry, it is a weight on the family. It is a weight on uh, the, the whole system at home. And that is just a standard of ministry. And uh, in our family, uh, that weight was really, really difficult. And on the surface, things looked like they were all good. Actually, there were little fractures that began to, began to sort of crack and get deeper and deeper. And as time goes on, things change and develop and some wrong decisions and some lack of wisdom. And uh, our family ended up breaking apart. And it was a really difficult time and it was a very public time. And uh, when you are in ministry, lots and lots of eyes are on you. And I felt that weight as a child and I definitely felt that weight going through that period. People watch. And uh, I know many of you in this room uh, were able to see this whole thing unfold. And for me, going through those, those times, I used to, I must have been 14 years old, and uh, I decided one day I wanted to learn the guitar. And I began to, you know, learn and play as you do, and it was awful. I used to go down and show my parents, like, oh, check this out. And uh, I, I swear they were being generous. But, oh, it sounds great. Like, looking back, it's like, you know when a kid, like, plays the violin really badly, and you're like, yeah, please stop. I, I learned the guitar, and actually there was something in my 14-year-old self that just lit on fire. Like, I just understood this language of worship. It wasn't something that I did. It wasn't like therapy for me. It wasn't like healing for me. It was like battle. I was, like, battling for my equilibrium. I was like battling for my center point. And at the time, I didn't really know this. But when I look back, and I actually was able to be stable throughout this whole period of time when things could have been so crazy, when things, I had the opportunity so many times to sack it all off. So many opportunities to say, you know what, God, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And I had a decision. Many times I stood at that fork in the road and said, actually, I either have to believe this with everything and bank everything on this, or I just walk away. And uh, worship was something, as I stood in my room, screaming at the top of my voice, learning to sing, learning to worship, when I wasn't bothered if people heard me or not. It was just what I did. And like I said, it wasn't like a, an intentional, like, I need to go and worship. It wasn't like that. It was just part of who I was. And actually, when I look back, I don't think I would have been able to maintain that stability through that time if I hadn't really grasped what worship looked like. It reminded me of a, a story in Mark chapter 4. Uh, so Jesus is on a boat. It's a great story. And uh, I encourage you to go read it. I think it's Mark 4.35. And uh, Jesus is on a boat and he's sleeping on a cushion. Okay? So it talks about it. Jesus is sleeping on a cushion in the bottom of the boat. The disciples are on the boat. His followers are on the boat. His little crew. They'd all gone uh, to go and, uh, and cross the, the lake. But it's more like a sea. It was so big. And... This crazy storm starts swelling up. Things get mad. Like The disciples suddenly start to panic like, we are going to die. There are waves crashing over the boat. It's raining. It's windy. They are not in a good situation. And they start freaking out like, what is going on? What are we going to do? And Jesus is still asleep on the boat. Like heavy sleeper, right? Like you all know heavy sleepers where you can do anything. They don't wake up. Anyway, I kind of feel like Jesus was asleep, but he was just kind of like, I'll wait. Anyway, finally, the disciples run downstairs. They shake him. They wake him up and they say, Teacher, don't you care if we die? 
and he like <sighs> gets up. He speaks to the wind. He speaks to the waves, and everything is calm. And the disciples suddenly fall on their knees, and they start to ask each other, who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? Do you not find it interesting that actually the very answer to their problem was asleep on the boat? The very answer to the thing that they needed was right there in front of them. But their initial instinct was to panic, was to go crazy, was to skits out. But actually Jesus was on the boat. And so often in our lives when things get crazy, when life turns upside down, so often we panic, we start to think, what are we going to do? How are we going to change this? Uh, what do I need to do? We start trying to manufacture things ourselves, and we forget that actually Jesus was always there. You know, I, I wonder whether this morning, do we need to grasp what worship looks like? Do we need to learn to fight for that balance back again by just submitting everything to Jesus and saying, actually, I know I don't understand everything. I know things don't make sense, but I believe you are above the storm. I believe that you are bigger than it. I believe that you are who you say you are. Like this word talks and talks and talks about the character of our God. And we either believe it or we don't. But let me encourage you, God has been revealed in the person of Jesus. And Jesus stands up and he rebukes the storm. He calms the storm. And I just want to encourage you this morning that as you face things in your life, you have an opportunity to either freak out, to forget that Jesus is on your boat, or to pause and actually say, you know what? There's something inside of me here that can rise above this, that can transcend this personal circumstance. And I think if we were to grasp that, and as I, through my teens, learned that actually my stability didn't come from circumstance, my stability didn't come from, you know, inspirational quotes or, for, or from looking cool on the outside or from uh, reading uh, my Bible just to get it done, but it actually came through this personal relationship with Jesus and my ability to worship in it. If we grasp that, life might look a little bit different. Worship has the unique ability to transcend personal circumstance. Are we good? Are we quiet this morning? It's all good. I'm sat on a stool. I'll let you off. Second lesson that I feel like God taught me in my life, and this one was possibly one of the more difficult lessons I had to learn due to my nature, is faithfulness is less to do with the task in front of you and all to do with the training within you. Faithfulness is less to do with the task in front of you and all to do with the training within you. See, very often we find ourselves, I don't know about you, we find ourselves in a, in a situation of life whereby we kind of know what we want to do. We kind of know like what's next. We know, like maybe there's like a thing inside of us. We know that we could be living differently. We know that God has put something special inside of us to do. It might be you've like figured out what your purpose is. Like, I feel like I'm still unfolding for all of us, isn't it? But you might have, like, just, you've landed on something you know you've been put here to do. It, it might be that, actually, you've had this dream in your heart for a long time that you want to go and do something specific or start a business or to go and set up a charity or to write songs or to whatever that might be. And uh, so often, we find ourselves in this position where we know what we want, but our circumstances, our reality doesn't seem to line up with that future. I don't know about you, but I got caught in this for a long time. And in fact, I feel like this is a season we will regularly go through in our lives. A season where we kind of feel like we know what we want. So then we begin to start manufacturing what the break looks like. We manufacture what the opportunity looks like. We think, ah, oh, if I can just speak to this person, set this up, and actually then I'll... I don't know if you've been there. I've definitely been there in my life. We find ourselves in a season of waiting and we try to manufacture. But often we just get left feeling drained. We get feeling tired. When I was in this season of my life, I listened to this song. It was a really depressing song. There was a line in it that said, the engine won't turn and the train won't leave. And I was like, yeah, that's where I am right now. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just stuck in the station. Like, I'm supposed to be going and I'm just chilling here. What's going on? I don't know if you relate to that. Or you just feel like the gears just won't get going. You can't get to that thing you thought you were supposed to be doing. It's such a frustrating season. But I want to suggest to you this morning that actually the only way we progress to the next season is by being faithful 
in the season that we're in. The only way that we can actually progress, the only way we actually make it to the next season is by being faithful, fully faithful in the one that we are in. What is faithfulness? Listen to this. The Holman's Bible Dictionary says, steadfast, dedicated, dependable, and worthy of trust. It's interesting. Faithfulness isn't something that you do. It's actually something that you are. You see... We buy into this lie, don't we, that actually, that the stage we're in will dictate our character, will dictate us. But actually, in the kingdom of God, it's the opposite way around. It's actually our character will dictate the stage that we are in. You see, the training that we go through in these seasons of our life allow us to be the person that God will use at a specific time. You see, imagine it like this. You're stood and there's like a big performance. There's a stage. There's an auditorium full of people. You're stood behind the curtain saying like, this is my time. Like, I'm ready. Put me in. Put me in. Like, I'm ready to do this. And actually, you hadn't gone through the training. You hadn't stored up everything you needed. You stand on the stage. The curtains are ripped open. You see all the people, the lights, and you actually don't have anything stored up for you to be able to do anything. You see, the seasons of training the seasons of like growth that the often they don't look flattering they don't look glamorous those seasons where we think like I'm ready for the stage but actually we're still training see training allows us to be the right person when the time comes but so often don't we we want to we want it now we want the next thing like God's put something in us we're ready we're ready ready but maybe God's put you in a season where he wants to work some stuff out in you so for me, this lesson, I remember learning this one. I'd actually say, you know, I only, maybe, I only maybe came out of this season possibly in June this year. And uh, so, I, you know, I said I was studying music. I kind of felt like, you know, when I'm older, I'm going to be a pastor. I was ready. I was like, I got employed at church. I was doing the youth ministry. This is what I wanted to do. And I was going through uni at the time. And I was like pushing and pushing and, and trying and, when I was at uni, I spent so much time on my own, like a ton of time on my own. And uh, that's what you do when you're studying, you're behind books. And like, I am like a typical extrovert. Like I get all my energy off hanging around with people and like buzzing around people. And, and actually I spent so long on my own. And I would sit there in these times and I would like see people through the window, like being outside and like, I want to be out there. And I was just in this place where I kind of felt like I knew I was ready to do something. I was like ready to get going. I was pushing it and pushing it. And I kind of thought I was doing as much as I can. I'm getting really busy. I was trying to manufacture the little things like, oh, if I feel like in me, I'm going to preach one day. I'll try and do as much as I possibly could. And actually, I just got drained and drained and drained. And I got to that place where I started to feel like, oh, maybe I'm not good at this. Maybe actually... I shouldn't be doing this. And you see, when you start to overload yourself, when in those seasons of training you start to try and strive because you think your time is now, what happens is you just exhaust yourself. You know, whether in here right now you're like heading towards like your first career or you're, you're coming out of uni or maybe you've retired and like this is a new season for you too and you, you know that there's something inside of you and you're just like, what is next? Like how do I move forward? You see, I learned this lesson of faithfulness. And only in hindsight did it make sense. At the time, I was like, what am I doing? I, I'm not spending, I shouldn't be spending all this time on my own. Like, I, I do all this work and read all these books. And like, it was crazy. And I was just kind of like pushing through it, like trying to keep a good attitude. I'll finish uni. I'll get to the end. And uh, time and time again, God's spoken to me through the story of David. And uh, if you've, Heard the story, David, in 1 Samuel 16. You've got this family. You've got a guy called Jesse. He's the father. He's got a load of sons. Youngest son, David. He's a shepherd. He's out in the field. He's looking after sheep. And then this prophet, Samuel, comes. God's told him he's going to anoint the next king. And it's going to be in the family of Jesse. So Samuel goes. He goes to see Jesse. He said, one of your sons I'm going to anoint as the next king. Jesse's like, Amazing. Let's line them all up. He lines up all his sons. He doesn't bring in David because David's the little one. He'll never be king. He's out in the field. So he's looking after sheep. 
It's a mucky job. You're out there on your own for a ton of time. And Samuel goes through all of Jesse's sons. Okay? God, is it this one? God says, no, it's not that one. And then God like challenges Samuel. He's like, stop looking at the outside. I don't look at the outside. I look at the inside of people. Like, stop judging these guys. So goes through all of them. And God says no to all of the sons. And Samuel says to Jesse, like, Dude, I'm not wrong. Like, God's told me, like, this, this is a fact. Do you have any more sons? And Jesse's like, yeah, I have one. In that moment, would you have not just been like, come on. You left your son. Like, really? Like, David was, like, already overlooked, okay? He was already out in the field. Like, his own dad knew he had a son called David. And he even said to himself, he'll never be king. So I'll just get, like the big guys, the ones that look the part, the ones that I think will have the stuff. And Jesse calls David in. He comes in from the field, sees this, sees this prophet, and the prophet looks, takes one look at David, and God said, that's him. And David gets anointed as king. Now, scholars have believed like he was between 10 and 15 years old. So he was out all the time looking after sheep. Like I said, it was muddy. It was dangerous. There were like bears and lions and other dangerous animals that were trying to eat the sheep that David would have to like fight them off. David gets anointed as king, 10 to 15 years old. And then listen to what it says. Samuel left. He goes, done. Anointed as king, David stood there dripping with oil because he's been anointed. They poured the oil like, you're going to be the next king. Then Samuel leaves. David goes back out to the field. Like imagine what was going through your mind. Like your dad's called you in, bit of an inconvenience. You know when your parents call you for tea and you're not ready? You're like, oh, it's never ready, is it? They always say come for tea and the food's never on the table. (laughs) Just a side note. I'm kidding. I do all my own cooking anyway. What are you on about? I don't. Um, I kind of do. Um, <laughs> so, so David goes back out, right? He gets called in by Jesse. He's like, right, got to go in. Gets there, some prophet guy wearing like robes and stuff, pours oil over his head and says, you are going to be the next king of Israel. Like, wow, like average Monday. And then goes back out to the field. Like, what a strange occurrence. But then check this out, right? Then Saul hears about this a little, and, and he pulls David, and he makes David like his armor bearer. It's like, think about this for a second. David has been anointed to be the next king. And then he ends up serving the current king in a super, super, like, lowly, servant, practical way. Like, imagine what was going through David's head. Like, he's been annoyed. Like, I'm going to be the next king. Like, this is crazy. Like, how do I process this? Back out in the field with the sheep. And then he ends up, like, he was doing fine in the fields. Now he ends up carrying, like, armor around. Like, it was a little bit of a privileged position because you got to be with the king and kind of see things. But again, let's look back through David's life. I said faithfulness only makes sense in hindsight, right? When David was out in the field, he actually learned to be on his own. He learned what solitude looked like. He, David is actually described as a man after God's own heart. He learned that in the field. He learned to worship in the field. He learned to fight off like lions and bears in the field. And then he gets to go as like a 10 to 15 year old boy and serve the king and be around the, the, king's, the king's crew. See how kingship worked. He got to have an inside track on what being the king looked like. You see, in the moment, though, he was like, what am I doing? Like, he must have gone in there thinking, like, this is weird. Like, I thought I was going to be the next king, and now I'm like a skivvy for the current king. Like, this is weird. But check this out. It took 10 to 15 years before David was appointed king. So he was anointed at 10 to 15 years old, and then to 25 to 30 years old, he became king. Now you see, in our lives, there is always a gap between our anointing and our appointing. See, there might have been things put in you when you were younger. There might have been things that God has dropped into your life, dreams, purposes, visions of the future. But actually, there is always a gap between the anointing 
and the appointing. You see, like I said, when that curtain is ripped open, faithfulness allows you to be the right person at the right time. David had everything he needed because he was faithful. He didn't complain. He didn't argue. He didn't try and like knit it all together himself. He was just faithful. I wonder what this could look like in our lives. Simply, be the best that we can wherever we are. Be the best that we can wherever we are. I had to learn this. I remember I worked in the Helen and Damien's business and I was a designer and I used to do all their marketing and stuff like that. The first year was amazing. I was loving it. Then it got to a point where I was like, I am not made for an office. I had those times when I was like stood in the mirror like doing my tie up. Like, what am I doing? Like just walking out of my room in a shirt and tie. Like, this is not me. And I remember times and times when like people challenged me and said like, hey, if you can't keep a good attitude in this season, God's never going to take you to the next one. It's actually changed my perspective. Like, am I where I want to be? No. I was not at all where I wanted to be. So on the mornings, I would like pull my tie up. I'd be like, I can do this. Straightening the tie. Such a cliche. And it like, you know, like the typical, like you're working in an office and like, it's just not made for you. And like, when your perspective begins to change of where you are and actually what God is doing changes the way you work, changes the way you operate. You don't complain anymore. Instead, your eyes widen and you start to pray dangerous prayers like, God, show me what you're teaching me. God, show me the next opportunity where I can be in an awkward position and actually grow in an area I never thought I would need to grow in. But let me say this. Today, when I look back, I draw on those three years more than I ever thought I would. Like I learned to organize myself. I learned to have to deal with people that maybe didn't see things the way I see things. I had to learn to like operate in a culture that wasn't necessarily my own culture. Like I draw on those three years possibly more than any other season in my life. And I only figured that out now. Like not now, now, as in when I was preparing. That would have been like an epiphany, wouldn't it? You witnessed the epiphany. You only see that in hindsight. So like if you're in a position in your life right now where you think like, God, I thought I was made for more than this. I thought actually there was something inside of me that was like great. And often we feel arrogant about saying that, don't we? Like I feel like God's putting something special in me. Like don't feel arrogant about that. It's not you. It's not, you haven't like cultivated it yourself. God has put something amazing inside every single one of us. He's given you something to do. He's made you a person to be. Don't feel arrogant about saying, I feel like God's got something for me to do. Don't shy away from that. But let me encourage you, whatever season you're in right now, especially that one where you feel like nothing adds up, I'm not really being who I'm meant to be, pray the dangerous prayer. God, what are you teaching me? Because it will change the way you go to work. It will change the way you operate in your family. Like, this is so hard. I didn't think it would be like this. I thought I wanted a family like this. God is teaching you through everything. And the final thing, just trust him. Trust that you are exactly where he wants you. And actually trust him with your next step. Like I said, I thought I was going to be a pastor in my 30s. I had no idea it would come when it came. I just had to trust him and step into it. And actually just say, God, if this is what you're calling me to, I'm going to step into it. But at the time, I had no idea. I was just being faithful and being faithful, putting my best in when I could. I wasn't always like that. There were times I was just slamming through essays like, oh, when I can get this done. But looking back, God let me go through some stuff that helped me be the person I am today that could step into this position. And actually, I am so thankful for the times I thought were boring times or the times I thought were meaningless. Actually, God has made them to be so impactful today. So, worship has the unique ability to transcend personal circumstance. Secondly, faithfulness is less about the task in front of us and all to do with the training within us. And the third thing is the seeming weakness of vulnerability is possibly our greatest strength. The seeming weakness of vulnerability is possibly our greatest strength. See, I always thought in my life that if people saw that I was weak or struggled with things, then they would think I was weak. 
that's fair to say. And you think like if people see you in a weak spot, then they're like, oh, that guy's weak. I just had this thing growing up. It was like, that was just how I processed things. And I thought that actually the best demonstration of me being a Christian was to demonstrate to people that like, you have no problems. That like everything is fine. No matter what you go through, it's all good. You can shrug it off. Like I got faith, don't you know? I don't know whether you've been in that spot where you just think that actually being a Christian means everything goes perfectly. Like you're just nailing life and it's all going good and people look at you like, ah, that's the life I want to live. And that's because like we become a Christian. Everything changes. Everything's perfect. But you see, actually vulnerability allows us to connect with people on a deeper level. Shall this, faith doesn't lose its power in weakness. In fact, Faith finds its context in weakness. Do we know that? Like, we are inherently broken. Every single one of us. Like, we live in the fallout, the aftershock of the fall. So God creates mankind. He says it's good. He creates his garden. Everything is as it should be. God and humanity living in unity. And then humanity screws up. And that kind of relationship between God and humanity is severed. It's distorted. And then all of a sudden, sin comes into the world and we are not as we were ever intended. Like, think about that for a second. We look at ourselves through a distorted mirror. And when Jesus came back, he redeemed us, but he's yet to restore us. So we have the the hope of restoration in heaven. We have the hope where we are restored back to that ideal creation. Back to the thing that he intended in the first place. But right now we live in the in-between. Whereby we're redeemed but not fully restored. Every single one of us is broken. Every single one of us carries stuff inside of us. You know what? We don't necessarily get to choose our brokenness. Choose our weakness or choose the, the stuff we struggle with. Our choice is whether we acknowledge it or not. So many of you right now will actually be thinking of things in your head like right now. They're like, oh yeah, I kind of do struggle with that. You see, for me, this was a really, really, really difficult lesson for me to learn. Vulnerability was foreign. Like, like I said, I grew up in a ministry family. Like eyes were on the family. Eyes were on me as a kid and I knew it. I was like one of those like little cocky kids that was like, would get hyper when people were watching me. I was like, ah, attention. Just being honest. And uh, I actually began to like put on this front of what I thought everyone would want me to be. Like it wasn't necessarily false. I wasn't doing it to impress people. But I just thought like that is what we did. We like projected this like perfect Christian life. That's what we do. We don't have any problems. Like all good. And I remember... Um, after everything happened at home and all that sort of stuff, I started seeing a counselor. And uh, this counselor said, um, she like snapped to me and she was like, I've had enough of your PR answers. Like you just give PR answers all the time. They're just so perfectly well-rounded and well thought through. Like it doesn't mean anything. I'd be like, yo, what? Like let me come back at you with this. I'm very angry at you right now. (laughs) Like vulnerability was something I was not comfortable with. And this counselor ended up saying to me, it's like, she's like, it's like you got PTSD. It's like you only understand yourself in a context of conflict. It's like I'm there like picking fights with anyone possible so I can feel normal again. Like, it's like I was wired to exist when things weren't okay. So like I always had to oppose something. I always had to like push against something. Like I understood myself in response to something I didn't like or in response to something I thought was wrong. And they were always noble things like injustice or like someone was doing something wrong and I had to fix it. And it like gave me a little bit of self-purpose. And this counselor like just sat me down and was like, look, you need to learn to find yourself outside of conflict. Like take a chill. Like, and like over the past three or four years, like rewiring this stuff. And let me say, like when you're in a position like that and you start to suppress feelings, you start to suppress what's really going on, your body will find ways to kick that stuff out of you. More often than not, it's anxiety. Like I remember times my hands would just shake and I had no idea what was going on, no idea what was happening. 
And I remember speaking to this counselor, being like, I don't know what's going on. She's like, I do. It's obvious. Like, if you get rid of this PR stuff, all this stuff will go. And it was so interesting. I'm not talking about, like, anxiety where it's, like, clinically diagnosed or, like, imbalances in your brain or anything like that. I'm talking about suppressed feelings will come out as anxiety. And I can tell you that firsthand. And you know what? We all have these things inside of us. Our decision, acknowledge and address. Or allow a silent killer to roam around your life. You know that thing that can ruin you? The thing that could bring you down? That silent killer just walking around. Whenever you let in bed at night, it's the one who says, hey, remember this? Remember what you did? Remember what you do? We all have weaknesses. We all have problems. Listen to this, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay, so healing doesn't just come from just prayer. Like, ah, oh, they can pray for me. Like, they know what the problem is. Like, God knows what the problem is. Like, they just don't need to know. Actually, it says, confess your sins to one another. Like, share with one another. Be open with one another. How do you kill a silent killer? You expose it to the light. And it has lost its power. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we embrace our weaknesses, because we all have them, if you're sat in here like, no, I don't have any. Self-awareness is your weakness. <clears throat> Just saying. We all have weaknesses. Every single one of us. Just bring them into the light. You know what? We are not broken because we have weaknesses. We have weaknesses because we're broken. That's the point. That's what we deal with. Humanity is fractured. It says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When we acknowledge our problems, it allows God to come in and use his strength, use his beauty, use his restorative power in our lives. What can this look like? Be open with one another. Grab some friends. Like, just because I'm the pastor does not mean I have any, like, special, like, confessionary gifts where you need to tell me things and it will change something. Let me say, there is more power in you with your body speaking together and saying, like, help me carry this. Like, my job is not to be there for every single one of people, but it's actually to create an environment where everyone has someone to be there for each other. That is the family of the church. That is the beauty of the church. We can share with one another. We can carry each other. When one of us is weak, we all carry each other. When one of us is strong, we celebrate it. We learn from each other. Ask the Holy Spirit to highlight your weakness. That's a scary one. If you say, Holy Spirit, show me the stuff I'm not very good at. You'll be like, whoa, not all at once, please. <laughs> now, can I just say, vulnerability isn't just like the soppy stuff. It's not just like the, like, oh, I'm so broke. It's just being real. Like when you're angry, be angry. Like don't make bad decisions from that place. Don't be like over emotional and like act out of emotion. But be real, be honest. Like, if you're angry about something, be angry about it. Just say, hey, I'm feeling really angry about this right now. I kind of need to process why I'm feeling this way. Or if you're feeling hurt by someone and you're actually thinking, oh, they've hurt me. And you go speak to everyone but that person. Just speak to the person. Let's be vulnerable with each other. Let's say, you know what? If this is going to be a family in this room, vulnerability has to play a central part in that. We have to learn to share things with each other. And then finally, let God work in the brokenness. He's just there waiting with his hand out saying, give me everything. Because we're there like, God, I, I'll give you this bad stuff like when I sort it out and then I can just give you this lovely offering. Well, I don't know about you, but in the word it actually says that even our righteousness are rags to him. Like even the things that we think are good are actually nothingness to him anyway. He wants all of us. Every single part of us. I'm going to invite the band back up and I'm going to finish. Worship has the unique ability to transcend personal circumstance. 
Faithfulness is less about the task in front of you and all about the training within you. Sorry, I'm multitasking here. Give me a break. And finally, the seeming weakness of vulnerability is possibly our greatest strength. All of that to say, that you might be like, yeah, cool, we heard your story, we heard your lessons. Yeah, nice one. Let me read something to you. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Verse seven, listen to this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. He's always been there in your life. Do you know that? Every situation you've gone through, every piece of pain, every event of hardship, He has always been there. And He will always be there. And you know, and I've been thinking back through this story, thinking back through some of the stuff God's taught me in my life. It reminded me of a story of a woman called Hagar. And she went through a really difficult time and she felt so overlooked. And she felt like in this place where no one like cared about her. No one really like knew what she was about. And... She finally gets to this place where she realizes something about the nature of God. Where she finally gets into this place where she says to God, I have finally seen the one who sees me. Like I've finally seen the one who sees me. I want to encourage you. When I look back through my story at every single turn, at every time I thought I was on my own, he was there. Every single time that I actually thought I was going through something I would never get out, He was there. As I look back right now, and I think of all the times that should have taken me out, all the times I should have tripped over, He was there. And as I stand here looking forward into the future of this church, into my future, He'll be there. He's gone before me. He's gone behind me. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you walked into this place, And you just feel like there were times God just abandoned you. Times when He just wasn't there. I want to encourage you, He was always there. And He will always be there for you. Through the darkest of the times you go through, through the highest of the times you go through, He'll be there. You know, we have an opportunity to stand and to recognize God's presence woven throughout our stories. And as we begin to share this with people, we begin to help other people see that God's been there for them too. You know, I'm not going to ask for a call this morning for you to respond or anything like that. I'm just going to ask us to bow our head and close our eyes. And I'm going to ask you to respond in your own self. whether this is to meet Jesus for the first time, like I want to know this guy who loves me so much that he went he lived a human life, died a human death and rose again, beating all my shame, all my guilt. You want to know him. I'm going to give you an opportunity in yourself to respond this morning. But also, if you're in here this morning, you've heard some of these lessons, you've heard about this idea that God has never left you. I want to give you an opportunity to just realign yourself with Him and say, God, help me find my center. Even when everything around me is tipping upside down, help me to find that place. Help me to anchor myself into you. I'm just going to give you a few moments of reflection.
God, I thank you that you are here right now. God, I thank you that you have always been here, whether we've seen you, whether we've experienced you. God, I thank you that you have always been part of our story. And God, I want to thank you that you will always be part of our story. God, I thank you that you've prepared a way for us to walk and that you've promised us that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, you will always walk with us. I want to pray for those people in the room, Father, that just said they want to know you. They want to recognize you as their Savior, to respond to you and say yes and let you in. God, I pray that you would make yourself so real to them this morning, that as they make this decision to cross that line, as their life changes forever, their future becomes their reality. God, I want to thank you for every person that responded in themselves this morning to say that they wanted to find that equilibrium, that center point this morning. God, I pray that you would just grab their hand, that you would just stabilize them in this moment. Holy Spirit, come fall in this place. Come and bring your power. Come bring your peace. God, as we worship you now, let us worship with conviction. Let us worship with authenticity with this morning. We love you, God. We want to just thank you for all you're doing. And that our best days are always ahead of us. That there is always a hope and a future in your name. In Jesus' name. If you'd like to stand.